The reading today is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, beginning at the 13th verse. verse. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, son of the living God, Jesus replied. Bless you are Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. He Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to St. Stephen's. My name's Prash. I'm the senior minister here. Very warm welcome. I want to add my welcome to Matt's. Uh, and particularly uh, a warm welcome if you're uh, a visitor, someone perhaps you sent you the link or you just found it this morning as you were kind of going through your social media feed, a really warm welcome to you. We're glad that you're with us. We'd love to hear from you. And there is a Connect card which allows you to do that. Uh, it's an electronic version uh, and it'll come up in the, you know, in the comments feed of our social media feeds, YouTube or Facebook as well, and you can find it on our website too. We'd love to hear from you, so do let us know. Now, if you are joining us uh, for the first time or you've, you're back after a couple of weeks, we're in week two of our series, our vision series in August. In August, we just spend a bit of a, a month, you know, refocusing on what we think God is uh, calling us to do here as his people. And uh, our vision statement as a church is that we long to be a church made beautiful, diverse and large by the gracious work of Christ. Now, uh, last week, when we started off the series, we actually started at the end of that vision statement, the gracious work of Christ, because we really wanted to recognize as a church that anything that God does in and through us and for us is because of Jesus, actually, because he's gracious and kind because of his work for us. And that really said to us, we need, we need to be focused on Christ. We need to draw on him. Uh, before we even think about the kind of church we should be, we need to understand where any of the resources of being that church come from. And it's Christ. It's Jesus. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to go back to the start of our vision statement and, and reflect on those early words. We long to be a church. Now, as we, as we thought about our vision statement last year, as we did consultation, we talked to people, we even looked at other churches' vision statements. It's always helpful just to see what other people are thinking. It's true that some vision statements are kind of more focused on, on the person, the, the individual believer, sending them out, you know, equipping them. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But we, we deliberately said we belong to be a church. That's a deliberate decision, but I guess it raised this question for us. Why the church? Why the church? Especially because a lot of people are a bit more hostile to the concept of church now than they were, say, 30, 40, 50 years ago even. Um, here's what one, one a group of authors said. Both inside the church and out, organised religion is seen as oppressive, irrelevant and a waste of time. Outsiders like Jesus, but not the church. 
Outsiders like Jesus, but not the church. Maybe, maybe you're someone who resonates with that statement as well. And so are we setting ourselves up for something that's irrelevant? Why do we need to focus on the church? Well, to answer that question, we actually need to go one step back and ask ourselves, what is the church? And to help us do that, I just want to reflect on the words of Jesus from Matthew 16. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That's Matthew 16, verse 18, in that little section that the Catchwell kids read for us this morning so well. Now, uh, that is the first time Jesus uses the word church. He'll actually use it a few times in the next couple of ch- chapters of Matthew's story of his life as he recounts Jesus' sayings. So it's actually a very important moment in the gospel and the account of Jesus' life. The first time he uses this word, the church. Now, if you're not a regular reader of the Bible you may not realize that when in Jesus' time, he's actually speaking in Aramaic, but then this was translated into Greek. And so what we're reading in church, we're reading a translation of a Greek word called ecclesia. The Old Testament itself was also translated in Greek for those, for those first century believers. And when the Old Testament was written there were, in Greek, there were numerous times that the word ecclesia was also used. And they always referred to these moments of gathering because the word ecclesia means gathering. It means people gathered together. So famously, actually, when Israel is rescued from slavery in Egypt and they travel as a group, God gathers them as an ecclesia, as a gathering, as a church, so to speak. The word church isn't used in our New Testament translation but the word gathering is. It's the same, same underlying word beneath both of those. In Judges chapter 20, the author of Judges uses it. He says here, the leaders of all the people of the tribes of Israel took their places in the assembly or the ecclesia or the church of God's people, 400,000 men. Now, he's describing a gathering, a physical gathering of people. Jesus is not saying, I, I, I will build people or individuals i mean that's all true but he's fundamentally saying i'm going to i'm bringing people together and what this says is that the church is the gathering of god's people it's so important this is what pip was picking up in spotlight too it's not a building now this is this is important some of us who are listening to this will say oh, of course i know this but i do want to say this because i think a lot of people who we talk to now we say oh my church is St. Stephen's, the first thing they'll think about is a 150-year-old stone building on the corner of Sydney and Mowbray Road in Willoughby. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. Some people say, oh, I'm, I'm, I go to church, but what people think about is some kind of um, large monolithic institution like the Anglican Church or the Roman Catholic Church. You know, you think of St. Peter's Basilica, in the Vatican. No, but that's not what God is thinking about when he says church. It's certainly what Jesus is describing. He's describing a gathering of people, a gathering of people. Now, the, the, the subsequent question, if that is what the church is primarily in the Bible, why is this so important? And, and that's, a, that's a question that I think we need to answer. Before I answer, though, I do want to say this. The, the idea that why would a gathering of people be important is a question that arises out of our own cultural context. We have to recognise that too. Uh, if, you're in, if you're in Asia, 
or if you're in Africa, if you're in Latin America, then the idea that a gathering of people is important is, is given, actually, because most of their cultural um, experiences are communal. Of course, for us in the West, this is less so. We, we are able to see and understand ourselves fundamentally as individuals. And so it means that gatherings, while we value them and see some, some importance to them, are not essential. But the Bible's actually talking about the church as essential. It's, so, it's primary. So why is the church so important? Well, let's go back again to that Matthew passage where Jesus is using the word church for the first time and see what he says. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. It's a great, important phrase. I will build my church. Jesus is saying that he... He will build his church. And it's not just, I will build a church, a gathering, or the church, the gathering. It's my church. It's deep ownership. He's saying the church is actually his great work product. It's the thing that he's striving for, that he's laboring for. It's the end point of his, of his activity and his ministry is to build this church, this gathering of people. See, the church is important. Jesus is invested in it. His work and effort is for the church. This is, this is so valuable because suddenly you're, you're, you're starting to see the church not as just some kind of political organisation, but as something that Jesus has invested in himself. Hopefully this is starting to turn your mind slightly as you think about the church, perhaps. Oh, this group of people is someone that Jesus is personally invested in. That should be enough of a reason, I guess, to establish the church as important. But in the next verse, verse 19, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is an interesting phrase, a bit unusual. How can the church have the keys? What does that mean? Is there literally a door that you have to go through? No, the keys is a symbol for authority, for privilege, for responsibility. I, I was at a church in the past where um, there were only a, a set number of master keys. These are keys that got you into every, every room on the property. So they were pretty important. And the wardens who kind of looked after the property had a policy that when you left a particular role or responsibility where you didn't need the key anymore, you had to return the key. What was really interesting is they always found it hard to get the key back from people. People really wanted to hold on to their key. It wasn't even that they needed to get into a specific room, but the key reflected responsibility. It reflected privilege. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. You have a responsibility, you have a privilege, you have authority. But interesting, see what the authority is? To bind things in heaven. Now, last week we talked about spiritual health being the key measure of, of what is healthy church. And, and he's saying here, Jesus is saying here, the church has the authority to deal with spiritual things. In fact, you would say that the church is the key institution for spiritual health. And this is not, this is not just a, a 1950s reading of what Jesus is saying. Look at this. This is from the Nicene Creed. If you, if you tune in for our 745 service, we often say the Nicene Creed in the middle of that service, a declaration of things that were 
are true of the Christian faith, the core things. Now, this creed is written in 381 AD. It has, you can't attribute it to kind of 1950s Christianity or something, you know, of the, of the 19th century. This is back to the very start of the, the, the early church. And this is what they say. We believe in one holy Catholic, not as in Roman Catholic, but Catholic as in universal, like one holy Catholic or universal apostolic church. From the very beginning, God's people understood that the church was central to his purposes. See, you could say the church is God's institution for spiritual health. That's the importance that is being attributed here. Jesus is saying that's, that's the level of authority. Now, you might read that statement and think, oh, I hate that idea. That a group of people might be responsible and have some authority over my spiritual health. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying when he says, I give you the keys and whatever you bind on earth will bound in heaven. In other words, whatever you guys do together has deep spiritual implications. Deep spiritual implications. Now, this means so much to us. This is why we need to have the church in our vision statement. This is why I think it's so important for us. We are a church that believes in the church. We believe in the church. We believe that gathering together is so important. And of course, that is really hard at the moment with lockdown. We can't, many of you can't be in this building on a Sunday. That makes me sad, and I'm sure it makes you sad. You grieve those moments. But there's still opportunities, I want to say, even in the midst of lockdown, to gather. We have weekly connect groups where people meet together online on Zoom. Again, it's not perfect, but you see people. You hear from them, uh, you share your lives with them, you read the Bible with them, you pray with them. This is a chance to gather, imperfectly, but gather nonetheless. And if we really believe that the church is as valuable as Jesus is saying it is, as important as Jesus is saying it is in this passage, then those gatherings are so important. I, I, I want to say connect groups are so important. I mean, coming to church on a Sunday when it's possible is so important. And connect groups, gathering together, so important. They are, they are at the heart of what it is actually to follow Christ, to be online. Now, the challenge, of course, is that more and more, our appreciation of gathering as God's people has um, diminished. In part, that might be because some of the people who used to come to churches just did it because it was like the thing that they did it's what their family did every Sunday they didn't really appreciate the truth behind it if that's you I want to say to you oh there's more for you to grasp about this than mere attendance but at the same time there's people who genuinely follow and love the Lord Jesus who don't prioritize meeting with God's people gathering with God's people and our vision statement is that we'd be a church that genuinely prioritizes that sees the value in it that makes it one of the most important things in our week in our life together that we gather but often i think we devalue it why you know i'm reminded of that um, american sitcom the office british version i know but the american one for me is better and the central character in the, in the story is Michael Scott, who's this kind of bumbling idiot. He's the, uh, he's the branch manager of this paper company. And he's pretty bad at his job. He's useless at his job in many ways. 
Uh, of course, head office every now and then sends someone in and everyone kind of gets together and they manage to make the place look m- m- meaningfully or functional uh, and then head office leaves. And they, you know, they get the financial reports. They think Michael Scott's really good at it because he seems to always meet his targets and exceed his, exceed his KPIs. Of course, anyone who knows realises that he is actually a bumbling idiot and it's actually the other people who are making things happen. Now, I think sometimes we look at our churches and we realise that our leaders are bumbling idiots and that diminishes our understanding of the church. We look around and we think, this can't be that valuable, look at who's here. But I want to say, That's not the way to conceive of church. It lowers your value of church. Interestingly, actually, you can actually value St. Stephen's very well because it's filled with people who are your friends and who've done life with you and who've helped you out in a particular circumstance. That has raised your value of church. But even that actually is to build your comprehension of what church really is on the wrong things. I mean, those are good things, don't get me wrong, but... Ultimately, they're still building your understanding of church, your value of church on the wrong thing. And so it leaves you you at the mercy of of a bad experience, of a selfish person. And so your value of church would... And you know, when our value of church diminishes, other things naturally come in and replace them. You know, our our, our children's needs, our children's co-curricular requirements, educational requirements, our work demands. It might just be our, our, our recreational demands. I mean, I can name hundreds of things which stop Christians from gathering together, which really are nowhere near as valuable as the church. But because we have such a low vision for the church... We allow those things to take a higher priority in our life. And what's sad, of course, is that all of those things are really not that valuable, are they? I guess I've just been reminded and I've been struck again in this second lockdown how I learnt lessons in the first lockdown but didn't apply them. I learnt in the first lockdown about things that were not that important but as soon as I came out, I made them too important again. Did you make that mistake? Well, this lockdown is an opportunity for you to learn. To learn what are those things that you've made too important and what are the things that are important which are not important enough. So how do we value the church rightly? Well, we need to understand the church for what it really is. What is it that really makes the church the church? And Jesus' words again are helpful for us. Here's what he says again in that key verse, verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock... I'll build my church. What's this rock that he's talking about? Some people think it's Peter. They think it's the individual Peter. His name in in Greek means rock as well, so that might make sense. But it can't be Peter. It can't be Peter for a number of reasons. First of all, the Bible repeatedly throughout the Old Testament, which of course Jesus knew and quoted very often, the Bible repeatedly says that God is the rock. God is the foundation. Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Mount, the foundation is his teaching, his words. Jesus never builds his community on individual people. In fact, you know what's really funny? Those people who say Peter is the key, right? I know that denominations even build their whole sense on Peter being the key, which Jesus... No, the very... Like five verses after this event, 
You know how Jesus describes Peter? Satan. He calls him Satan. Because, because Peter's trying to distract Jesus from his mission. He says, you are a stumbling block. He's not a foundational block. He's a stumbling block. Jesus is not talking about Peter here. He's talking about Peter's profession of faith, which we hear just before this verse, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is saying, I will build my church on the profession of who I am and what I've come to do. In other words, the gospel. Because the gospel is this great news of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. That he is the saviour. That he is the son of God. That he is the Messiah. The gospel is understanding that Jesus is those things and he has come to save the world. Now this means something for us. This has direct application for us in Vision Month. And it's this. When we gather together, our primary purpose is to point each other and others to Jesus. Who he is and what he's done. And I want to say, if you're in a connect group and your group doesn't do that every week, if its primary objective, its primary goal, its primary task is not to point people to Christ and what he's done and who he is, then it's failing. I mean, it might be providing you with all the kind of emotional support you need, but it's not actually the kind of church that God is building. It's some other kind of support network. If you want it to be the church that God is building, and part of that great church, it needs to be a group of people. We need to be people who point people to Christ and what he's doing. Now, why is that important? Why is a church built on the gospel so valuable? Why is a church built on the gospel so valuable? Well, what is the gospel? The gospel is that Christ died for sinners. That Christ died for sinners. And you know, a church built on this Jesus... This Jesus who meets the bleeding woman and heals her. This Jesus who eats with tax collectors and sinners. This Jesus who says to a criminal who hangs on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. If a church is built on that gospel, that is a church that A, humbles people and welcomes them in. It humbles them and welcomes them in. You know, I saw a great quote overnight uh, from, the, uh, from the Australian high jumper who just won silver. She's a believer. And as she was quoted, she said, the beauty of being a Christian is that she found a group of people who loved her even though she was an outcast. How can you love someone who's unusual or who's difficult or who's an outcast? Well, you love them when you see and understand and believe the gospel. Christ died for sinners. The church is an open place. I want to say this is a very important thing. If you're watching online, maybe you haven't been part of a church for a while. Maybe you haven't been part of your connect group for a while. And actually, what's actually stopping you from even taking that step back into God's, God's people is guilt and shame. I want to say to you, don't be guilty. Don't be ashamed anymore. Because Christ does not expect perfect members of his church. In fact, Jesus will always love his church more than you will. In Ephesians 5, it says, Christ loved him and died for his church. You see, Jesus will always love his church more than you will. And that's okay. 
He just wants you to want him. He just wants you to want him. Take that step back. You know, this morning, you can use the Connect card. Maybe you're in one of those categories. Use the Connect card. Get in touch with us. We want you to be part of God's church. Jesus has opened the door. But the church and the gospel is not just Christ died for sinners, as wonderful, extraordinary as that. The gospel is that Christ rose from the dead, that Christ defeated death. And so a church built on that gospel is extraordinarily different to any other group. Why? This is why. This is what Jesus says in that verse again. He says, the gates of Hades will not overcome the church. How can he say that? He can say it because that church is built not on an individual, not on leaders who will fail, not on communities which will be broken. No, it's built on a gospel which promises the resurrection power of Jesus. And so in a sense, the church is the taste of the first taste of eternal things. When you commit to the church, you buy into something that will last into eternity will last into eternity. I remember being a kid, I went to a garage sale. I found a box at the garage, a little tin with all these collector cards in it. I'd convinced myself that one of them, this is a bit like an antiques roadshow moment, was, was like a priceless collector card. And, and so I paid, I think, five bucks or something, you know, all my hard-earned pocket money to buy this tin. Of course, it turned, they all turned out to be worthless. Who would have thought? But I held on it for a long time. Now, that's kind of cute for a kid, It's tragic for an adult, isn't it? And here's the thing. It's a tragedy for us if we value things that are fundamentally not valuable and cast aside things that are eternally valuable. I want to encourage you, don't make that that mistake. Don't get caught in that tragedy. God is inviting you into his church. The church is the center of his work in this world And we want to be a church that's about the church, about the church God is growing because of Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your kindness and your mercy to us in the Lord Jesus. And I want to thank you, Lord, that your goal is not just to renovate individuals, but to draw us together, because you are a relational God. And I want to thank you that this group of people that you are building because of Christ's great work is a group of people who will stretch into eternity. Heavenly Father, I do pray that through the work of Christ in our church, you would make us people who long to gather together, who treasure this opportunity, and who are shaped by Christ's gracious work for us. Amen.